Open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 1. Can we stand and honor God's word this morning? How many of you love the word of God? I don't know about you, but I am... There aren't too many days that go by where I'm not in, in the word. And I don't do that because I'm a pastor looking for a message. I do that because I'm a Christian that needs to be fed. And if you wouldn't deny your body physical food, then why would you deny it spiritual food? And I can't encourage you. There is a stabilizing and a cleansing factor to the word of God that only those who are consistently in it know. I cannot stress it enough. Find a way to get in the Word. Well, I'm not much of a reader. Then be a hearer. Get the Bible um, in your ears. Listen to it in your car. They, they'll sell little inexpensive um, headphones and digital devices that you can have the, the Bible read to you. Um, but get the Word of God um, working upon your heart, your life. I, let me ask this. How many of you would say, that I notice a marked difference when I am out of the word than when I'm in the word, I notice a marked difference in my life. And so do I say the same. And so get in the word. And we're going to be in the word today. We're going to look at, at a great story, Hannah and Samuel. And so 1 Samuel 1. There was a man named Elkanah who lived in Ramah in the region of Zuf in the hill country of Ephraim. He was the son of Jehoam, son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, son of Zuth of Ephraim. Who came up with these names? Elkanah had two wives, Hannah and Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah did not. Each year, Elkanah would travel to Shiloh to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of Heaven's armies at the tabernacle. The priests of the Lord at the time were the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas. On the days that Elkanah presented his sacrifice, he would give portions of meat to Peninnah and each of her children. And though he loved Hannah, he would only give her, he would give her only one choice portion because the Lord had given her no children. So Peninnah would taunt Hannah and make fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having children. Year after year, it was the same. Peninnah would taunt Hannah as they went to the tabernacle. Each time Hannah would be reduced to tears and would not even eat. Why are you crying, Hannah? Elkanah would ask. Why aren't you eating? Why be downhearted just because you have no children? You have me. Isn't that better than having 10 sons? Once after a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up and went to pray. Eli the priest was sitting at his customary place beside the entrance of the tabernacle. Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. And she made this vow, O Lord of heaven's armies, if you'll look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I'll give him back to you. He'll be yours for his entire lifetime. And as a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. As she was praying to the Lord, Eli watched her. Seeing her lips moving but hearing no sound, he thought she had been drinking. Must you come here drunk, he demanded. Throw away your wine. Oh no, sir, she replied. I haven't been drinking wine or anything stronger. But I'm very discouraged and I was pouring out my heart to the Lord. Shows you what to do when you're discouraged, doesn't it? Don't think I'm a wicked woman, for I've been praying out of great anguish and sorrow. In that case, Eli said, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant the request that you've asked of him. Oh, thank you, sir, she exclaimed. Then she went back and began to eat again, and she was no longer sad. 
Father God, I ask that we would discover from Hannah's prayer and her heart as she prayed that we can know that the answer's on the way even before it comes, that we can have peace even before the answer comes. God, I thank you that prayer isn't just something that a Christian does. It's communion between us and you, oh God. And Father, I ask that our prayers would not be reduced to some monologue where we're reading off to you our list, but it would be a life-giving dialogue between us and you, oh God. Father, you tell us when we draw near to your house, let our words be few, because you're in heaven and we're on earth. And so, Father God, we come to you today and we ask... Father God, that you would speak to us, that we would discover truths and principles about prayer and the power of prayer that would change the way that we seek you, that would change the way that we intercede on behalf of others, that would change the way we live as Christians. And Father God, I ask that as the saints at their knees in this area, that this area is transformed by the power of prayer. Father, let there be a revival in prayer in this area. In Jesus' name we ask, we pray, amen and amen. Just a little bit excited about prayer, I am. So, I chose Hannah and Samuel's story because it ties last week in. If you were here last week, we looked at Abraham and Sarah. And we're going to discover through Hannah how powerful prayer can be. We're also going to see how Hannah's prayer affected not only her life, but an entire nation. See, the thing that we don't realize about prayer is it's so much more, it's so much more uh, far-reaching than, than just beyond our, our own life, our own home, our own sphere of influence. Prayer is powerful, and it influences so much more than we realize. So last week, if through Abraham we saw faith in fatherhood, through Hannah we're going to see faith in motherhood. So why did God answer Hannah's prayer? Why was Hannah's prayer being answered by God so important? We're going to try to tackle these truths today. Through Hannah, we see prayers that are heard. Scripture says that the Lord kept Hannah from having children. And Elkanah's other wife, Peninnah, mocked Hannah because of that. And Hannah, even though she was loved by her husband, she was childless. Childless. So Hannah prays at their tabernacle so passionately that Eli the priest thought that she was drunk. Reminds me of Acts chapter 2 verse 15 when the 120 come out of the upper room and Peter has to stand up and say, these are not drunk as you suppose, it's only nine in the morning. Hannah wasn't drunk either. Isn't it amazing how some of the most godly and some of the most passionate are the most misunderstood. Probably not a purer heart in scripture crying out to God. So much so that Hannah tells the Lord that she'll give her son back to him. Hannah tells the Lord that her son will be his for his entire lifetime. Wow, what a prayer. Don't you see the heart of Abraham who was willing to give Isaac, his only son, to the Lord? Can't you see Hannah here even before her prayer is answered, even before she's pregnant, she's already giving her son to the Lord? 
that God asked Abraham after Isaac was born. Hannah's giving to the Lord. Even before Samuel's born, she's giving him back to the Lord. She's declaring that, God, he'll be yours his entire lifetime. What a prayer, what a woman. So how did Hannah's prayer affect an entire nation? Well, up until Samuel, the nation of Israel was ruled by judges. Up until Samuel. The New American Commentary says, Hannah's faith turned the tide of the period of the judges by producing the transitional figure of Samuel. And Samuel was indeed a transitional figure. We know that he anointed Israel's first two kings, Saul and David. How powerful and far-reaching Hannah's prayer for a son was. The New American Commentary says, this passage also teaches that true power is to be found not in one's position in society, but in one's posture before God. How true is that? Two things about Hannah that make her stand out among Old Testament women. No other woman in the Old Testament went to the tabernacle of the Lord. Hannah did. Hannah did. She went right to the tabernacle of the Lord. She went right there in front of Eli and she was crying out to God with a depth that could not be heard so much so that he thought that she had been drinking. Saw her lips moving, but nothing was coming out. It's because her prayer was coming out of her heart. And when it comes to prayers from the heart, only God hears. The prayers that we pray for all to hear, people can hear, but prayers from the heart, Genuine prayers that come from the depths of who we are, deep crying out to deep, only God hears. And who else would you rather have here? Secondly, no other Old Testament woman is recorded as having made a vow and kept a vow to God. No other woman. She stands out. Hannah had no position of influence in society as a woman. One commentary even went so far as to call Hannah a socially impotent woman from the rural regions of Ephraim. She had no power. She had no influence. She had no position. She had nothing going. But she could pray. And pray she did. And what a prayer it was. Just a moment in prayer. I cannot tell you how many times I have prayed and have known in my heart that however God was going to respond, that he was going to respond, that that prayer was going to be answered some way, somehow, by God. And I had a peace knowing that he was moving already in response to a prayer not made according to my will, but made according to his. A couple places in Scripture talk about prayers that we pray according to his will, that God hears them. John 9, 31, we know that God doesn't hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God hears them. We know in 1 John chapter 5, it says that prayers that we, have pray, that we pray according to his will, he hears. So there's a difference when you approach God praying for your will to be done. I think sometimes we're trying to wrestle God to conform to our will when he's wrestling with us so that we would conform to his. It's never going to be about you or I having our way. It's never going to be about us trying to get God to, to, to bend to our wants and our needs here in fat and sassy America with a limited worldview 
It's gonna be about us surrendering to the Lord, being able to lay things at his feet. And if Abraham could lay his son and if Hannah could give her son even before he was born, so can you and I. We must have a heart to pray like that. God, we don't want our way. We need you to have yours though. God, we don't want our righteousness to be recognized, but oh God, we need yours too. We don't want people conforming to our will. We must conform to God's. And that's what we want. We don't want to be right. We want God to be right. And we want the one who is right to be seen in and upon our lives. Because if you draw people to you, where are you going to lead them? Where are you going to lead them that offers life? And where are you going to lead them that offers refreshing? And where are you going to, you are going to dry up because in your humanness you only have so much to give. Man, but if you can bring him to the Lord, life everlasting, he'll lead beside still water. And so many people out of a need to be accepted and out of a need to be wanted are drawing people to them. You do not want to do that because you cannot sustain them. I believe in my studies, one of the names of God I want to say it was El Shaddai, but I could, I, could, I could find it out for you. Literally was translated, if you, if you dove into it, the many-breasted one, meaning all-sufficient, the God who was more than enough. I can supply all your needs. I will never run dry. I will never cease to be a uh, a source of nourishment and refreshing for you. I have all that you need. I can supply all that you'll need and then some. And in Hannah's prayer, she's crying out to God out of the depths of her soul. And she's almost breathless as she is probably run out of words. And she's just crying out to God from her heart, pouring out her heart to God. And her prayer affected an entire nation. When Hannah passionately pleaded with God for a son, she unknowingly was pleading for the future of her nation Israel. Mamas, your prayers are powerful. And as you're praying over your children and you're giving them to the Lord, and you're praying that God would have his way with their lives. You have no idea how they can affect a city, a nation. You have no idea. You give them to Jesus. They're not yours. You're called to train them. In fact, their real parent is Father God. And it's his voice that they are going to need to discern for their lives. And that is what you want. You bet they should be respectful and obedient as you're raising them, but you want them to be obedient to God ultimately. And I know this, I know that as my boys grow and become more and more obedient to God, I'll never have to worry about whether they'll respect us or not. I think sometimes we're so worried about losing face in our own sons and daughters' eyes and hearts that you know, we're doing everything we can to, to where my man push him to Jesus. In fact, push everybody you know to Jesus. 
They need to know Jesus. Eli the priest was the one with the influence. But why? Why would the one with the influence not end up affecting an entire nation like he could have? I'm gonna suggest to you that Eli the priest was not the one to affect the nation of Israel and Hannah was because Eli could not even restrain his own wicked sons. I'll offer you a couple verses. 1 Samuel 2, verse 12, says, Now the sons of Eli were scoundrels who had no respect for the Lord. Look at 313, 1 Samuel 3, 13. I have warned him that judgment is coming upon his family forever because his sons are blaspheming God and he hasn't disciplined them. Eli the priest was the one with the influence, but he couldn't restrain his own wicked sons, whereas Hannah's faith produced a son that would faithfully lead Israel and anoint two kings. What a contrast the one with the position, the one with the influence, who has sons, and a woman with no position and no influence begging God for a son. One could not restrain his sons and the other one already giving God her son. How powerful is that? Hannah's prayer also birthed breakthrough for her personally as she went on to give birth to three more sons and two daughters. We know that from 1 Samuel 2.21. God must have so loved her heart. They said, look, I'll give you three more sons. I'll give you a couple daughters. Because she was so willing to give to God the first, God blessed her. God blessed her. Let me just say this about Elkanah having two wives. It shouldn't be seen as, as ungodly. In Scripture, Hannah is mentioned first and then Peninnah. So it's believed that Elkanah took a second wife to produce an heir because Hannah would not. And Elkanah is not the first to have loved a wife that couldn't produce children, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all experienced this. So what can we learn from Hannah? Hannah, that as I already mentioned, one commentary saying was a, was a socially impotent woman from the rural regions of Ephraim. What can we learn from, from her? First of all, and this might go against any leadership training you've ever heard before, we don't have, we don't, we don't need to have influence to be an influence. You don't need to have it to be an influence. I know that leadership by its very definition is influence but you can be an influence without having it 
prayer influences. Prayer influences in ways that you could never influence. Back in the day, we would be taught to pray until we have prayed something through. To pray and to pray and to pray about a matter until you just have a peace that you have somehow broken through, that you have somehow pierced the, the obstacles, the hindrance that you have spiritually broken through. You prayed until you arrived at a place of peace. I've seen so many people that have said, Pastor John, we have prayed about it, and, we, and they're so frustrated. In my heart, I'm thinking, you have, not, you have not prayed this through yourselves. Pray it through. Pray until you arrive at a place of peace. Hannah knew. Hannah knew after she cried out to God. She had peace. Let me show you this again in 1 Samuel 1. Verse 17, it says, in that case, Eli said, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant the request that you've asked of him. Oh, thank you, sir, she exclaimed. She went back and began to eat again, and she was no longer sad. She knew that her prayer had been answered. She knew. She didn't know when. God always holds the when. But many, many times, God will give you the peace before the answer comes. Many times. And when you have prayed something through, you have the peace before the answer arrives. Have you really given this to the Lord in prayer? Or are you complaining to God and are you frustrated because the answer has not come as soon as you wanted it to? There's a difference. There's a difference. And I would encourage you to pray until you have prayed it through. What else can we learn from Hannah? We can learn that true power is found on our face before God, not on a platform before men. Just because people are on a platform does not mean that there is a power and an influence there. Although I think we, should, we would do well to know who the people are that are ever given platform in any way, shape, or form and place before people. Yeah, I totally get it. But if Hannah stands as a testimony to anything, she stands as a testimony that true power is found on our face before God, not on a platform before men. So many people think that if they arrive at a platform, that that's where true power is found. I don't believe that. And Hannah's life stands in stark contrast to anything that would say that. She discovered real power on her face, on her face, before God. We also discover from Hannah that many times the most godly are misunderstood like Hannah at the tabernacle and the 120 out of the, out of the upper room. I mention this, but don't worry when you're genuinely passionate for God. Don't worry how that is gonna go over or, or what people are gonna think about you. I love King David. I love the fact that he did not care what anybody thought of him. And so understood this that he said, I'll even be more undignified than this. When what you do is genuinely before God, you shouldn't be ashamed. You know, I wonder when Paul told the Romans, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation. 
Why did he need to make that statement? What were people saying about him? Man, you just need to shut up with this message about the risen Christ. You know, you just need to zip it. And Paul said, look, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. How many times have you found yourself going to family gatherings or settings where we better not mention Jesus because it might upset some people? You know, if we're ever living in a day and age where people are not worried about saying things that are going to upset folks, it's today. If there's ever been a day and an age when we need to come out of our spiritual closets, it's today everybody else is coming out of the closet. Why can't Christians? I don't know why we're so ashamed to let people know that Jesus Christ has changed our life. And it's not because we're so disciplined and we've been able to incorporate this, that, and another thing that we're doing as well and we're as happy as we are and our marriages are as strong as they are. It's because of Jesus Christ. Why won't we tell people the true secret of our success? And I don't think Jesus wants us to keep him a secret. I think we're so worried about what people would think about us. Isn't it amazing? Jesus made himself of no reputation, but we're always trying to save and preserve ours. There's nothing even closely resembling preserving, saving face. Nothing that Jesus modeled even resembles that. I don't even know if we have ever seen a true crucifixion even accurately portrayed. I think they've all been dumbed down. Even Mel Gibson said that he had to tone it down in his movie The Passion because it would have been, it would, the rating would have, would, I think would have been an X rating because it was so graphic. And so he said, if I would have really depicted what took place, I would have not have been able to keep it in our rating. He had to dumb it down just to keep it in our rating. I really don't think we fully grasp what Jesus did. The Bible says that he emptied himself. He made himself of no reputation. Your flesh is always crying out for you to save face. Your flesh is always crying out for you to look good. Your flesh is always crying out for you to worry about what people think about you and don't be rejected. Make sure you're accepted. Your flesh is always crying out for that. And Jesus is always crying out for us to take a stand, to publish his marvelous acts, to give testimony of what he's done in our lives. If we discover anything about Hannah, we discover that the purest prayers are those where we can give God anything God gives us back to him. Abraham gave Isaac. Hannah gave Samuel. The father gave his only son. The purest prayers are those prayers where we genuinely from our heart could give God anything that he's given us. We could give it right back to him. And we're recognizing him with a God, this is yours. I know that it's yours. You gave me the talent, the talent, the ability. You gave me the income. This is all yours. It's yours. I remember the first time I realized this. When I got saved, I had a 67 Camaro convertible. I loved that car. And I knew that I loved that car too much. I mean, I armor all that thing every weekend. I waxed it every weekend. So one of the first things I did when I got saved is I put a Jesus bumper sticker on the back bumper. And to make matters worse, they didn't have real cool bumper stickers. They had these pastel. Anybody remember these pastel Jesus bumper stickers? You know, the light blue, the yellow, the, 
And it wasn't the most manly, cool-looking Jesus bumper sticker I could put on, but I needed to send a message that this is, this is the Lord's car. This is, this is his. And people would say, man, why did you put that on your car? Why would you do that to your car? It's the Lord's car. It's the Lord's car. My buddies thought that I had lost it. But man, there were times that bumper sticker ministered in ways that I had no idea. People coming up to me and saying, I think it's so cool that you got the name of Jesus on your car like that. I can remember one time this gal, she was being pretty demonstrative as she's driving down the road. And I'm thinking, man, she is either worshiping God or she's losing it. And I purposely passed her and got in front of her. She saw my bumper sticker and she went nuts as she's driving down the road. I'm thinking, oh, I hope she does not hit a tree or something. Um, that, that bumper sticker ministered. Is there anything that God can't have? Is there anything that you can't give him? Is it really, really all yours? Do you really think that? Is it your money? Is it your house? Are those your cars? Is that marriage really yours? Are those kids and those grandkids really, really yours? Do they belong to you? Or have you given them to the Lord? See, everything about Abraham and Hannah says that God will give it to you even before it arrives. God will give it to you even before it gets here. And God, even after it gets here, if you want it, you can have it. You know what you're going to find out about God? You're going to find out that he doesn't want to take it from you. He just wants to be Lord of it and over it. Quit worrying about God taking something from you. I'm afraid that if I sell out to Jesus Christ, that he's just going to take this from me. God doesn't want it. He wants your heart. He wants to be Lord of your heart. He wants to be Lord and Savior. And anything that is competing for your heart, that's where the struggle is. That's where the wrestling match begins. So Pastor John, what are you saying? I can't love my spouse. I can't love my kids. I, I can't love my grandkids. I can, no. No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying you love him first. And you'll find that as you give God the first and the best, that he increases your capacity to love in ways that you never could love before. That you'll go beyond loving your kids and your grandkids. You'll be loving other kids, kids and grandkids. He'll give you a capacity that you didn't even know you had. Man, Hannah... A single prayer affects a nation. So crying out from her heart that words weren't even coming out. And I just want to pray over you today that you would get the heart of this message. That you would see things through Hannah's eyes. That if we're really going to make a difference and we're going to leave a legacy then we too are gonna to give our kids and our grandkids to the Lord. Devil, you can't touch them. God, you can do whatever you want to with them. Send them to the nations. Pray that they're the next Billy Grahams and Joyce Myers and Marilyn Hickeys and 
Father, send them. Their next Wayne Myers, greatest missionary that ever lived. Father, send them. Send them. Forgive me for trying to keep them close to me when your desire is for them to be close to you. Forgive me for getting in the way of what you desire to do with the next generation as if I somehow knew and had the best design and desire for them. Father, we give you the next generation and the generation to follow. We declare that they'll serve the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Father God, we want Jesus to be Lord not only in our generation, but in every generation to come so that children not yet born would praise the Lord, just like Scripture says. Father, put things in order. Prioritize them in our heart, in our life, so that our kids would see it. They'd see an order. They'd see, they'd see that God doesn't want to dominate a life, but he wants to demonstrate his holiness through a life. Wants to display his might and power through a life so that people's lives would be affected for all eternity instead of us enjoying just the comforts here and now. Father, forgive us for wanting our will more than desiring yours for those we love. Forgive us, Father God, for missing your heart as we were so concerned that ours would be clearly seen and understood. Lord, we're more worried about you being misunderstood than, than ourselves. Give us a passion to pray for this area. If a single prayer could affect a nation, Oh God, in unity, how many prayers could affect this city, this county, this state, the United States? Father, call back the saints to their knees in prayer for our nation once again that we truly would be one nation under God. Indivisible with liberty and justice for all and you would determine what true justice is. Oh God.